We're doing our Old Testament reading um, later in the service today because I'm coming out of Psalms for my sermon, and so I like you to sort of hear it before I preach it. So it is Psalm 85. Listen to God's word. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the inequity of your people. You pardoned all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his faithful, to those who turn to him in their hearts. Surely his salvation is at hand for those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness will meet. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. Faithfulness will spring up from the ground. Righteousness will look down from the sky. The Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make a path for his steps. The word of our God for the people. Amen. Amen. You know, I took, I was very blessed um, and intimidated to take my preaching class from um, Bishop Goodpastor. His real name. He started off as a pastor here in our state of Mississippi. He was a district superintendent in the northern part of the state, and he went on to be a bishop, an important bishop. They're all important, but he was real important. And he happened to be the bishop in residency when it came for me to take my <coughs> preaching class. Now, he didn't always teach that preaching class, but uh, he is known for his preaching. So, yeah, it was a little intimidating, but I made it through. But one of the things she said to me as we were sitting having a cup of coffee together, we were talking about it, about preaching, and I was telling him how often things would just pop into my mind. And so he said, Beth, grab you a notebook. Grab you a couple of them. Put one in your office. Put one out by the TV if you need to. Put one in your car. So when these thoughts come to your mind, you can jot them down. So I've been doing that for the last four years. I have a lot of notebooks. I haven't preached on everything I've written down yet. But I went back to one, something I heard when I saw that Psalm 85 was in our lectionary. It was actually um, something that I would jotted down when I was studying Psalms under Dr. K, because I cannot pronounce his last name. It's like or something. 
He's from Africa, and I never could get it right, but he was a brilliant man, so we all called him Dr. K. And he taught my last Bible class, which was Psalms and Revelation. I thought, what a combo, right? <laughs> so I was thrilled to have him. And as I was studying Psalms, I was listening to some podcasts, and this came up about 85, and so I jotted down a few notes, and then I'm just going to have to be honest with you. This morning at 5 o'clock, that Holy Spirit that I've told y'all about sometimes had me add some addition to this because he was speaking to me and moving me. So you'll hear a story from Diane Jacobson that took place in New Orleans. But if you listen to this Old Testament, the scholars believe that this psalmist really meant it to be a corporate prayer sung by a large gathering of God's people, sung after they had returned to Jerusalem from that exile in Babylonia. It is a prayer of blessing God, but yet truly crying out to God for revival. Calling out to him during a very disappointing and troubling time in that land. And with those people, hear the very passionate and poetic language. Restore us again, O Lord. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you not Revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you. Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Now the scholars are not certain what the psalmist was writing this for, what moved him to write these words. But they are certain that he is crying out and that this prayer has some historical events that can point us toward the state of the Lord's people and their spiritual condition. Those people in the land of Judah. Some scholars write that the psalmist was writing the prayer as a result of his very own experience. His own experience in attending worship, which no longer satisfied, he thought, the spiritual needs of God's people. That the worship was no longer full of joy for the Lord. And he didn't feel the presence of the Lord in it. That they were just going through the motions. Worship without praise. Without spiritual power. Without the joy of the Lord. Without the anointing of the Spirit to transform lives. Boy, that sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? We hear that today. 
Other scholars write that it was driven by the constant terror and violence that they were experiencing in their land. You know, their neighbors were constantly attacking them and struggling with them over the land where they wanted to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. So there was a lot of violence going on. That sounds very familiar to the world we live in today. Maybe it was a plea for the Lord to restore His favor on the land. You know, this land had experienced continual on and off famine. It was, it was a drought or some other famine. And they depended on their land for their economy and their livelihood. Boy, it sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? We hear of the heat, we hear of the drought, we hear of the floods, we hear of the wildfires. Sounds a lot like today. Maybe the psalmist saw the youth of that generation and those young adults that were just no more than one or two generations away from having lived in that exile. They were showing no signs of desiring to identify with organized Jewish religion. They had no admiration or connection for the great spiritual and cultural heritage that was theirs. Sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? It just seemed irrelevant to the younger people. It just wasn't speaking to their needs. It's always amazing to me when you read something, particularly from the Old Testament, that is still so relevant to us today. It's because His Word is forever. But whatever the circumstances were that caused the psalmist to write this prayer for revival, it is certain that the apple of God's eye, his crown jewel among his nations, he told us that, we're now destitute in many ways. They were destitute from their land, their economy, but they were also spiritually and morally bankrupt. So the psalmist cries out, Lord, revive us again. Now the Hebrew translation of that verse, will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you, is very significant. It carries a lot of meaning. The translation of revival, of revive, is to turn. To turn away from the sin so that they could experience the joy of the Lord. The Hebrew word from that is chaya, which means to live, to be restored, a restoration of life. 
the psalmist is praying, Lord, turn us from our sins. Restore us to that right relationship. Because that's the only way we can truly experience your joy. The psalmist does not begin with himself, but he begins with God's people in reference to this revival. He begins with God. Restore us again, O God, our Savior. Will you not revive us again? Hear his cry, his plea. You know, revival begins when God hears us. He hears us and he responds to our cries for restoration and being turned back to him. He does this by the fresh anointing of his spirit on his people. We couldn't revive ourselves even if we tried. No matter how hard we tried, we cannot do it ourselves. We must do what the psalmist did. Cry out to God to save our country, to save our world. Because God and God alone is the one who can turn us around. God and God alone is the one who lifts us out of the sticky, icky mud that we choose to roll around in. And sets our feet on solid ground. God and God alone is the one who can take our hearts of stone and our willful disobedience and replace it with a heart that is pulsating with spiritual life. God and God alone is the one who moves the human heart to confess all to Jesus. I surrender all to him I freely give. It is our prayers and our cries that catches the ear of our God. If you want God to hear you, then cry out. Do you want God to heal this country, to heal this world, to heal each other? then cry out. God hears us when we cry out. Just as the psalmist, we need to say a prayer for revival. We need to pray also to express the confidence that this psalmist had in God's unfailing love. He was sure of it. So I ask you, are you? Now, there is a line in the second part of this psalm that really caught my attention. It may have caught yours. And I found myself rushing to get to it. But I couldn't because I had to really talk about the first part of the psalm. And then... It changed completely at 5 o'clock this morning when the Holy Spirit was working on me. So I kind of went just a slightly different direction. But I'm going to read to you this line that I want you to hear. But I'm going to start. I'm going to read into it. 
It says, Surely salvation is at hand for those who fear the Lord, that glory may dwell in our land. Here it comes. Steadfast love and faithfulness will meet. Righteousness and peace will keep kiss each other. Did that not catch your ear? I thought, what a kiss, right? When all of that comes together. And then when I was up reading this morning on the computer and searching through some things, I found a story related by Diane Jacobson, something that took place right down the road from us in New Orleans. She writes, some years ago at a youth gathering in New Orleans, a group of adults dedicated to biblical renewal in the church created a physical space where the young people could literally walk the road of Shalom. That's taking place in our fellowship hall this week. That path was filled with road signs and stopping places where the reality of God's Shalom was illustrated by various passages of Scripture. At one point, the travelers arrived at Promise All, where they were asked to hold up signs printed with the words, Steadfast Love, Faithfulness, Righteousness, Peace. Then they read them verse 10 from Psalm 85. And they discussed the promise of Shalom found in verse 8. And I'm going to read that again for you. Let us hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his faithful, to those who turn to him in their hearts. When you hear that, you get immediately verse 10 and the three big ideas that shalom is linked to god's steadfast love this is a love which like agape love is rooted in god's promise peace shalom is linked to god's faithfulness God's dependable presence and commitment. That peace is most intimately related to righteousness. You know, there is some discussion, and when they ask the participants holding up their signs to physically meet, they ask steadfast love, to go over and meet faithfulness. And then they have righteousness in peace. Physically kiss each other on the cheek. It stirred those young adults, those teenagers. And amid those handshakes, hugs, and kisses, and giggles, the physical connection embodied the psalm in the pathway that it lays for us. You know, God leads us on this path. He has left 
his footprints for us to follow. He is walking with us to this path where this steadfast love, this faithfulness, this righteousness, and this peace all come together in one place on a hill where a cross stood, where there was such a kiss. A kiss that grants us, shows us, the path, the way to that right relationship with God shows us, gives us the revival that we are seeking. A way to turn back to that right relationship. It is the only way to have the right relationship. It is only found by our crying out to God and accepting His free gift of salvation. The one that He brought steadfast love, faithfulness, righteousness, and peace all embodied in one person, your Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Thank you.